Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane, your golf mental performance mastery coach here with Trey Carpenter, former Division I men's college golf assistant coach at Marquette and Stanford University. And he was the men's head coach at Denver in 2001, winning conference and conference coach of the year. And he's now currently the VP of golf development with Brian Kane Peak Performance. Trey, I'm excited to announce that officially here on the Golf MPM Podcast. Man, excited to have you here with us. So why don't you let our, our listeners know, like you just had a Really successful season as a college Division One head coach, right? You win conference, you're coach of the year. You guys, I think, are two strokes away in a regional from making it to the NCAA National Championship in Greyhawk in Scottsdale. And you decided to say, hey, you know what? I want to go pursue mental performance. And I know a lot of coaches are going, why would you do that, Drake? Yeah, I mean, I think of what I've learned from you in coaching and once you're kind of the guy calling the shots, I think you start to or you're forced to sit down and evaluate like what's the most important thing for our program to get better. And a lot of guys have talent, a lot of guys put in the work, but it's like, how do you unlock all that in the heat of the moment? And when I took the job last year, um, you know, we brought you in in the fall when we weren't doing anything, we weren't practicing a whole lot. And it was like, what could we focus on to really get better while we weren't playing golf, we weren't playing in tournaments. And we went through the 30 day athletes program with the guys. Um, and just kind of got them in that mindset of, you know, trying to grow mentally, even though we couldn't do a lot physically. And what could we do to prepare ourselves for a really big moment in the spring? And so, you know, we started talking about kind of what those moments may look like early. And we pretended maybe not pretended, but we treated every tournament like it was the biggest tournament that we were going to play. We always said, you know, this is the biggest day in the history of Denver men's golf because it's the next one. And then, you know, conference rolls around and regionals roll, roll around and we say, hey, guys, like this is the biggest tournament we've ever played in. And they're like, yeah, just because it's the next one, you know, and it's hard to flip that switch in your mindset if you haven't done all the work up front it's you're not going to be able to just get to that biggest tournament and be like okay well let's just treat this like any other tournament because you haven't trained yourself to that point so um you know we did the work early and often and you know i think that's what led to a lot of our success in the spring is when the pressure mounted we just kept reverting back to what we had been talking about all year yeah, so like the way you prepare for a national championship is the same way you prepare for the first tournament of the year in the fall. And, you know, the nice part about this now video podcast and audio podcast is I want to cut to a clip from a lacrosse coach, Andrew Baxter. He was the defensive coordinator for Yale lacrosse in 2018 when they win the national championship beating Duke in that Memorial Day, Memorial Day national championship game. And even though it's lacrosse, not golf, you're going to hear a coach that's won an NCAA national championship like you'd hear Nick Saban talk about, like you would hear, you know, Coach Drew at Baylor with men's basketball talk about. It doesn't matter the sport. Is Coach Baxter with Yale Lacrosse, who's now the head coach of Fairfield Men's Lacrosse, is going to say it was the biggest game because it was the next one. You know, we just we controlled the things that we can control. We stayed in the present moment. So we'll cut to some of those clips here with Coach Baxter. And what you'll find out is, as a coach, is success leaves clues, right? And most of my work has not been in golf. I'm starting to get going at a rapid pace in that, you know, the last couple of years. But most of it has been in college baseball, college softball, college football, mixed martial arts fighting in the UFC. And a lot of the principles 
you know, translate across different sports. So whether you're talking one pitch at a time in baseball or softball, one shot at a time in golf, one play at a time in football, you know, all of that is a very similar process with which you would teach. And, you know, it's funny talking to, to Brady Schnell today, who took a top 10 corn ferry finish this weekend, you know, it was the same thing. He's like, it's the same process that, you know, you would share with a football player who's going one play at a time. It's the same process that he would have used when he was a baseball player growing up to play one pitch at a time. He's like, I just never heard it put in that context or with that structure so that you could actually, you know, as we'll talk about, work an hourglass coming into the shot, executing the shot, and coming out of the shot. So let's take a listen to Coach Baxter here. Obviously, you hear Coach Baxter talking about it's the biggest game because it's the next one, and how you do anything is how you do everything. Burn the boats, right, which is an analogy of, of when the ship lands on the shore and you're going into combat, you burn your boats before you go into combat because the only re way you can go home is through. The only way you can win is to go home in the enemy's ship that you're trying to take, right, because you've burned your boats. You've made the ultimate commitment. And what we want to talk about on this podcast, episode six, is what can you do as a golf coach to help commit to the mental game this fall? And what are some things that you can do with your team to help grow a culture, grow a mindset, and create those routines and habits that are going to drive the results that you want? So I think from a mental performance coaching perspective, Drake, uh, one of the biggest things that coaches can do, and you did a great job of this at Denver in, in your time there, was you know, creating a culture and an MVP process. So would you talk, kind of talk about clarifying and implementing a culture when you take over a program or when you're a coach who's maybe been somewhere for 10 years in an existing program? Like, why is that important to clarify and implement that culture? Yeah, you and I actually listened to a podcast that Urban Meyer talked about kind of your two roles as a head coach are to clarify and implement a culture and acquire and develop talent. Everything else is kind of periphery stuff that doesn't really move the needle, right? So you know, I kind of had that in my mind when I took the job. And so, you know, number one was working on culture. Number two was working on developing the talent I had. We couldn't really recruit at the time. Um, so we just kind of dove in on, on those things. And like you said, the first part of culture is like, what is it, right? And if, if you don't know what it is, your players don't know what it is, your players don't even know it, they can't do it, right? Like culture, I think a lot of people in teams and and in the business world, even like it's words on a wall and people may know them or they may have to like, Hey, let me look at the handbook. And yeah, it's gotta that's be effective. Yeah. It's gotta be <laughs> something that you just, you do like, what are your habits? Like what, what is your team? What are you doing as a coach every day? And so the first part is like, let's sit down and write it and talk about it and make sure that everyone understands it. Once you have that, then we start talking about, okay, what do these behaviors look like? what's above the line, what's, what's below the line, what are our expectations as a team and what's expected of players and coaches and how we communicate. And I think once you start to get into that, the, the guys understood what's expected of them. They understand what they're going to get from me and our culture becomes something that we do and not just something we talk about once a year when everyone gets back to campus. Yeah, it's not words on a wall. It's something that you actually build into a system to coach, right? So whether it's um, you know, Steve Bailey with Marquette or, or Jonathan Dismuke at Houston, having a set of core principles that you teach, right? So if you, let's say, take 
the acronym PIOS, P-I-O-S, there's four, and you attach the P to Monday, the I to Tuesday, the O to Wednesday, the S to Thursday, well, you now have a system for the entire year for you to bring those core principles of PIOS to life within your program. You have a system for that. And the difference, I think, between great coaches I've worked with that have won national championships and the rest of them is that they have a system versus they have a quote on the wall. Right, like quotes on a wall, or like, like I've had, I've heard from a CEO of a company I was working with, and I talked about like what's what's the big purpose of why you guys are here? Like, what's the mission? Like, what's the philosophical drive that motivates everybody of why we're doing this? And he's like, well, hang on a second. And he starts flipping through his book, right, his, his PowerPoint. And I'm like, look, if it's in a PowerPoint, it's not going to align with what we call the three steps to ownership. And as a coach, you've got to get your players to own the culture so that it goes from being, say, coach-fed to player-led. And the three steps that how you do that are, number one, you know it. Number two, you do it. Number three, you own it. So if you want your golfers to own the culture, if you want them to own their routines, if you want them to own your mental performance system, which in our case would be the 10 pillars of mental performance mastery, it follows that three steps. Step one is they got to know it, which means you as the leader have to invest time to teach it, to model it, to define what it is. The second step is they got to do it. You have to show them how to practice this. How do we practice our core principles? How do I actually practice my pre-shot routine on the range? For example, uh, we implemented this drill with Jason Trotter and Cal State Fullerton where we would call it 5 and 15. So they take five minutes and it was executing shots like you would if you were in a tournament. You were on the range with a target. Every guy on their phone had an app that would, they would you know, put in, say, between 80 yards and 270 yards. They'd hit a button, auto-generates a number, they take out their rangefinder, they find a target that's about at that number, and then they go through their whole process and execute a shot. And they keep track of whether they executed the shot or not. And they would do that for five minutes, maybe get five, six shots in that time frame. And then for 15 minutes, they go into what we would call their, you know, blocked mechanical feel my swing, get in a groove type of practice, which doesn't really translate to the course, right? So the difference between blocked practice and random practice is random practice is what we get when we compete in golf. Blocked practice is what you get when you go to a feel good lesson. And we're not about feel good lessons here. We're about winning tournaments. Right? And winning tournaments comes down to, do I practice the right way? And that is a big part of our culture. And as a head coach, right, what you permit in your program will persist. And I think, Drake, it's one of the things as a, as a first-year head coach last year, um, I'm interested to hear from your perspective about how do you really hold guys accountable, yet at the same time create clarity and provide support around what those behaviors are, right? Because when you're looking at leading a program, leaders do three things. They, they provide accountability to the standard. They provide support for people who, who need help getting to the standard, which we all do, if it's a high standard. And then the third thing they do is they provide clarity around this is what the standard is, this is how you get there, and this is, this is what we expect from you. So how did you as a coach provide that accountability, support, and clarity for your players to reach the standard that you set with your culture? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think when you're, like our acronym PIOs that we use, right, like those have to be words that, I felt important guys would think about in the heat of battle. What right? were those words? Present, intentional, optimistic, and selfless. Beautiful. Like if you're thinking about those things while you're playing golf, you're thinking about the right things, right? Like if you're in if you're in the present moment, you're worrying about your process, you're not worrying about outcomes, you're not worrying about the next shot, you're not worried about the last one, you're worried about this one. Like that's all that's all I need, right? And so for me, like when I'm out there as a coach, and they're, they're getting ready to hit a shot, like my message to them is see, feel, trust. See, feel, trust. I don't want them thinking, oh, coach is here. 
I've got a six iron. Does he want me to hit the seven iron? All we're talking about is sea field trust, mm -hmm. right? And if we can get into that mindset in the heat of battle on day one, hammer that home, that's all you know when, when the pressure mounts, right? So it was constantly sea field trust, be present, right? And then intentional, it's like, okay, like, what's our target, right? And, you know, whether it's the flag stick or a spot on the green or a line off the tee, like, just focus on that target, not not what's on the left side or do I miss over here? Like, just focus on the target. Like, what is our intention here? And then being optimistic is always feeling like the next shot is going to be the best one, right? Mm -hmm. Like, not worrying about, I just made two bogeys in a row. I just made a double. Like, I never brought up those conversations with guys on the golf course. That stuff we talk about afterwards and, and adjust, you know, and, and figure out, do we need to change strategy and stuff like that? But in the heat of the moment, never bringing negative stuff to the table. You know, if I'm walking up to a guy, like bring something positive that I just saw happen from bring a teammate, juice. right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's how I can be optimistic out there. And then being selfless is just this constant reminder of, hey, like you've got four teammates out here. We're all in this together. There's a lot of holes left, you know? And so for me, those four, the, the acronym, those four core principles gave me something to coach to while we're out there that align with the mindset that I want them to have, right? And so you do that long enough and it becomes second nature. And I can tell guys are just one shot at a time plotting along. I don't have to go give them, you know, the pep talk, stay in it. There's a lot, you know, they, they start to do that and they see their teammates do it and, and you start to feel it when you do it after a while. Yeah, when you say work your process and you see if the guy's doing it or not, that tells you if he's in it, right? It's that simple. Right. But they have to then know what their process is. And this is what we want to get into you know, on this call is really how do you identify a process? How do you, you know, go through drills, right? We talk a lot about drills to develop skills, to create the skill set of mental toughness in golf. And on this podcast, we look at three areas. We look at swing management, course management, self-management. I guess you could throw in a fourth aspect of program management as a head coach, really. Uh, but that's what we focus on mostly is the self-management, and I guess you could say the program management. We'll talk a little bit about course management, whether it's with you know having Scott Fawcett on as we have with, with Decade or looking at you know up game or other resources that are out there for course management. We're not going to talk a ton about swing management because people already know that and they're doing that. That's been exhausting. But I think when you look at self-management and program management, one thing you mentioned I wanted to come back to was SFT, Seafield Trust. And one of the best pitchers in college baseball I've ever worked with, a kid named Preston Morrison, walk-on at TCU, became a three-time All-American and probably never threw 90 miles an hour in his time there, was a Team USA player. I mean, literally rewrote the record books at TCU. You know what he had stitched on his glove that he would look at and take a breath every time? SFT. We'll cut to an interview here where I did with Preston where he talks about SFT, Seafield Trust. Let's take a look. Rubber, what's your pre-pitch routine? I'm gonna wipe the rubber with my right foot twice, get in my position, Stare at my feet, bring my glove in, deep breath as I look at SFT, which means see it, feel it, trust it, then I get my sign, deep breath, exhale, and as I exhale, I visualize the pitch I'm throwing with my final thought, and then I throw my pitch with my final thought. So, you know, we've talked about SFT, Seafield Trust. We talked about the three steps to ownership. I know it, I do it, I own it. Let's talk about, Drake, for the coaches that are listening to this podcast, as the fall season rolls around, right? We just came through a pandemic. We're coming out of that. And you, you've you gone from being a Division One head coach to now being my VP of golf development with really the main goal being that you want to move from, you know, influencing your, your call it 10 golfers to influencing 
ten hundred, let's call it a thousand golfers, right? By being able to come here and work with the programs that we get to work with in mental performance. Obviously, your experience coming in as a head coach, even bringing that much value to the more, to that much more value to the college programs we're working with, you know. So I think when you're looking at identifying a great fall, you've talked about the importance of culture. What are some of the other things that you feel like become most important as you are a head coach preparing for the ideal fall as a college golf coach? I think one of the things that's easy to do in any environment is just kind of take things as they come, right? Like you can sit in your inbox and you can respond to emails all day long, right? They just keep coming. They keep coming. And it's like, how do you focus on the things that are really important? Like we talked about what moves the needle as a head coach, right? And so for me, it was how I need to schedule the things that are really important, put those on my calendar and let the rest of the stuff that comes at me kind of fill in the gaps, right? Because if I just start letting the stuff that comes at me control my day, all of a sudden my day's half gone and I haven't looked at something that really moves the needle. Sounds like I was a high, sounds like when I was a high school athletic director, man, my whole job, I felt like was putting out fires and I never got the important stuff because I was always drowning in the minutia. Right. So for me, it was like identifying, you know, what things were really important, putting together practice plans, knowing what we're doing for qualifying, making sure I was getting through the stats, you know, from tournaments and touching base with guys, Um, you know, things that really build connection with the players that really involve their development, you know, recruiting, all those things are like really important for us to work on our culture and work on acquiring and developing talent, right? And if I'm doing anything that's not related to that, it's really not moving the needle. But the reality is I'm going to have to do compliance stuff, right? I'm going to have to do budget stuff. Like all that stuff has to be done. But if I just do it as it comes to me, I never focus on the bigger picture thing. So for me, it's coming up with What's an ideal week? What's an ideal day look like, right? And you talk about, we all have 168 hours in a week. How do I block those up with the most important things first that I need to tackle and focus on my team and then fill in the rest? And if I do that and the players do that, we start to get really, really productive with what we're doing. Yeah. So I think that's first, you know, and we, we can talk about probably in a future episode what it looks like, what we call the focus funnel and what stuff should we be focusing on right on a specific level, you know, but I think just sitting down and mapping out what's a week look like and blocking out that time and just getting a visual of what the important stuff looks like, I think really sets a team up for success versus just handling everything that comes at you in the moment. Yeah, you met, you know, Drake mentioned the, the book, uh, we mentioned the Focus Funnel, which is a book that we're both currently reading. The nice part about uh, living together, right? And as he moved in with us here to, for, for the time being for us to really get this thing going in the month of July. And creating processes is we're both reading the book Procrastinate on Purpose by Rory Vaden, and he talks about the five-step focus funnel. You know where you have to choose things to to uh, eliminate, choose what you're gonna automate, choose what you're gonna delegate. Which has been great having you here because you've been able to help me do the things I love to do, which is which is coach and create content, uh, and really help me free up some time. Uh, and then choose what to procrastinate on and choose what to concentrate on, you know. So you've helped me a lot with that. And I think if we can help college golf coaches to do that even better, they're going to multiply their time, right, by creating more systems. And I think when you talk about creating systems, it's, you know, from a mental performance standpoint, the system that I've worked with you at, both at Marquette and Denver and, and I'm currently working with some of the top college, college golf teams on is the system of mental performance for golf. And if you think about this as a coach, and maybe you've caught some of our previous episodes, or, or maybe this is your first one, but I want you to get this key point about mental performance that most mental performance coaches and golf coaches miss. Here's the point. As a golfer, 
you do drills to develop skills to create a skill set. For example, when you're, when you're doing putting, you do putting drills to develop, let's say, the skill of speed when you're putting, and that's part of your skill set as a golfer. Well, the mental game skill set, a collection of skills, comes down to 10 individual skills. And what Trank and I are working on is what's the, what are the drills that we do specifically within golf to help you develop these 10 skills, right? Again, you do drills to develop skills to create a skill set. The 10 skills are, number one, an elite mindset. Number two, motivation and commitment. Number three, focus and awareness. Number four, self-control and discipline. Number five, keeping the process ahead of the outcome, as you heard Trake talk a lot about. Skill six is meditation and mental imagery. Skill seven is routines and habits. Skill eight is time management and organization, which he just talked about with mapping out your ideal box and ideal week. Skill nine is leadership, what we call the six C's of leadership. And skill 10 is the culture, going back to your pios. And it's interesting, Eric Backich, who's a good friend and head baseball coach at the University of Michigan, who I started working with back in 2006 when he was an assistant at Vanderbilt, then his time at Maryland, and now his time at Michigan. And one of the things that he's done at the University of Michigan is the like first Friday of the semester, right? they have a scheduling party and literally have everybody, all their players bring in their laptops, bring in their syllabuses. He brings in the weight training schedule. He brings in the baseball fall schedule. And they sit down and like map out what their ideal week looks like as a program and then individually. And it's one of those time multipliers where he said, look, time is infinite. There's a hundred, there, it's, it's not infinite, right? There's 168 hours in a week. It's always taking 86,400 seconds in a day. And if we want to be the best we can be in the country, right? If we're going to be the best college golf team we can be. And two years ago, Michigan baseball, the year before the pandemic was one win away from being national champions. Michigan, after season, they play in the snow. And he said, if we can multiply our time by being uber organized with how we schedule our, our lives as coaches and players in the program, and we, we assign every minute a task of that 168 hours a week, and some of that time might be free time. Some of that time is obviously going to be sleeping. It's going to be eating. It's going to be training. It's going to be studying. It's going to be in class. It's going to be working on papers that are due later that week. It's going to be planning practice. It's going to be going out on a date with your spouse. All the things that you have to do, they don't happen by accident, they happen by intention. So being intentional with how you map out that ideal day, that ideal week, sets you up for success to multiply time. Because time is a variable that you can measure, and if you don't, what happens is you're living reactively. You're living defensively. And we don't want to play defense. Great coaches don't play defense. Great programs aren't playing defense. They're playing offense. They're being proactive. They have a plan. They execute the plan. If they don't get the results they want, they go and tweak the plan. They don't wholesale change and go, oh, we need a new plan. They go, okay, well, what's working well? What needs to be done better? And how do we go about doing it? Speaking of well, better how, Trey, talk about how after a round, because it was fascinating to me when you had the Denver golf team here at the house at Chaparral Pines and Payson, um, how you guys would go through after a round a collective well better how in journal and i think that's something that at least with the college golf teams i've worked with for the last decade that's not something that they typically do together they like have their players get it in on their own which means they're not going to do it so talk to me about uh, that well better how process and kind of the post round journal as we sort of wrap up this podcast yeah it goes back to like what's important for us to really move forward right and if a well better how is important for us, we need to sit down and do it together. Like it's part of our scheduled time, right? So after every tournament round, we would jump on Zoom. Sometimes you would join us and we would just go through kind of each guy, what went well today? What am I gonna do better tomorrow? And how am I gonna do it, right? I think, you know, I've, 
I've been with a lot of teams and programs, and I think a lot of people do this, but like you said, they don't sit down, they don't make it intentional, and they make the mistake of doing it after the tournament's over. Right. Like Four days after their first round. Yeah. Like, yeah. whether we're in first or whether we're in last, I think the ability to stop and reset and reflect and refocus is huge because – if, if everything's going well and you kind of lose sight of your process and we're, we're playing really well and, you know, we get big-headed maybe and we go into round two and just totally lose it, if we would have just sat down the night before, let's talk about what went well and, like, celebrate it. There's still stuff we can do better tomorrow, but if it's just, hey, we need to sit down and do exactly what we did today, well, fine. Like, that's an easy meeting, but at least put that out there, own it, everyone talked about it and kind of build some energy and, and recommit to what you're doing. I think that's huge. And and we just made that commitment early in the year. It was part of our process. And then when we got to, you know, conference and regionals and it's pressure packed, it was just the same thing, you know, and it, we created that environment where every tournament was a big tournament. It was the biggest one we've ever played in. And that was just part of our process. And, and like we talked about, I made the intention of doing that. It was just part of what we did. And as you did it, guys started to own it they started to put more time and effort into it it was a way for us to connect and guys to own what was going on out there and hold themselves accountable and you know I did it too you know sometimes I would make mistakes out there as a coach and I would hmm. have conversations I shouldn't <laughs> have been having yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. and it's like that was part of I think their trust process in me was owning my mistakes what I did well what I need to yeah. do better and and they felt like they could have a conversation with me constructively maybe that some coaches won't have because they're afraid of having their feelings hurt, but I put it out there and, and we had really good constructive conversation. I think that was huge. Just breaking the monotony of each round. TFC it's part of why I love you, man. As we get going, there's so much great stuff that comes out. Three things that come to mind that you mentioned as I want to wrap this up here. One was, you know, you said you making mistakes and I had a chance to caddy on the corn Ferry tour earlier this year. And at the end of each round, I would, I would go crawl back into my room. Right. And I would, Go through, I mean, I can't, I can't, 72 holes over four days. I pulled the flag one time. Like, that's how dominated I was getting out there. It was unbelievably fun. And I would, um, so it'll be better, better the next time. But I'd go back to the hotel, right, that night, and I would jot down, well, better how for myself. Like, what do I got to do But well? What am I doing well? What am I going to do better? How am I going to do it? Whether it was, you know, handing the guy I was caddying for water at the tee box of every hole, whether it was making sure I kept a hand on the bag because it was windy or if we were on a lie because it was falling over. Uh, if it was, you know, trying to get there, to get up to the ball earlier and try to run numbers to help out and eventually just got to the point where, you know, it was, um, it was getting, it was, anyways, get to the point where it was like, okay, I just got to simplify what I'm trying to do. Like, this is my first time caddying. Like, just be, just, just be quiet and show up and carry the bag, you know, like, and the guy I was caddying for was tremendous in terms of helping me to understand, like, how I could help him, right? So I'd have those questions and I'd sit down with him and say, what did we do well today? What, what, what did we do what can we do better? Meaning him as a golfer, me as a caddy. And that process of well, better how was great. And where that comes from is Kobe Bryant, right? Kobe Bryant says in a, in a podcast with Lewis Howes in the School of Greatness, which I love the, Lewis's podcast. If you're listening, Lewis, I'm a big fan. Is uh, He says to Kobe Bryant, like, what's losing feel like to you? And he goes, it's exciting. Losing is exciting. And Lewis is like, well, how is it exciting? He goes, because you can learn from it. He goes, but the only way you learn from it is if you process it the same way. Right? And Lewis goes, well, is it easier to, lose, to, to learn from losing than it is from winning? And he goes, well, no, you learn from, Kobe says, no, you learn from both, winning and losing. Why? Because the process is the same. So if you're leading the tournament or miss the cut, the process should be the same, and it never is. 
right? And it should be. And it should be, look at your stats, well, better how. What I do well today, physically, mentally, what do I want to do better? How am I going to do it? And when you share that with somebody, which is what the golfers I work with who are playing professionally or the ones who are out on the amateur circuit, I say to them, after every round, text me your well, better how. Right? And if they don't, sometimes I will follow up with them to provide accountability. Other times I just go, hey, man, they got to own the process. Like, I'm not here to babysit. I'm here to coach. Okay? But you've got to, you have to give them a system to work within, and then you provide that accountability, support, and clarity. Another thing you mentioned, Trake, uh, that brings me back was um, when you said you made mistakes. Sean Haggerty, former Navy SEAL, he was an instructor on the show The Selection on the History Channel. If you haven't seen that yet, uh, send send Trake an email, Trake at BrianCain.com. We'll let you know where you can find that online. Tremendous to go through with your team this fall. Eight-week program we've created with it. Tremendous. So Sean, who's one of the Navy SEAL instructors and uh, runs San Diego's first and only organic brewery, Protector Brewery in San Diego, had uh, brought Sean in to speak to some teams, one of which was the Yale National Championship team in 2018, SMU football, Houston baseball. And after he does his presentation on SILVA, which is an acronym for the principles that he can take from Navy SEAL community that you can use in any aspect of life, golf, baseball, football, corporate. He always opens it up for questions. And one of the questions that I always will ask one of the players in the audience to ask, because sometimes they don't ask anything, which blows me away, but if they don't, I will. right? So I said, ask Sean what he knows now he wishes he knew when he was in college. Ask Sean what does he know now he wishes he knew when he just got started as a SEAL. And one of the, one of the answers he always gives is he says, you can't let pride and ego get in the way of progress. He goes, so whether it was as a SEAL, as a SEAL instructor, now as a, as a business owner, now as a father and a, and a parent, he says, no pride, no ego, just progress. And I thought that was awesome to hear somebody have that kind of humility in terms of where he's from and, and his, what he's experienced and his eliteness as a Navy SEAL and his um, you know, commitment to growth. And when we talk about growth, the last thing is what I call the three-step success cycle. And I got this from Dr. Gilbert with Success Hotline, right? Is he says, prepare, perform, reflect. And that's what you're talking about, Trake, is golfers and golf coaches, especially at the college level, because of the, the chaosness of the schedule and shortness of practice and um, you know tournaments in the fall and the spring, doesn't really stop, is they prepare, they perform, and they never really reflect. But if you can prepare, perform, and reflect daily, in a little bit deeper reflection weekly, so a, a reflection after each round, but a reflection also after kind of the tournament in the week, and you almost have like that refocusing, like the GPS, when a GPS is, you're driving across the country, but if I'm going from Arizona here out to Burlington, Vermont, where I went to college, if I'm driving across the country, we're going to stop in Indiana to see your folks, TFC, and we stop and make a wrong turn, the GPS doesn't go, ding, ding, you're an idiot, you suck, throw a club, quit the game. No, it says reroute. And that's what we have to do, right, is, is the reroute of the reflection, the learning that comes from the reflection after each round, but also after each week. And if you can reflect after each round and after each week, what you do is you improve the quality, even just a little bit, slight edge, compound effect. You improve that round, you improve that week, which improves that month, which improves that semester, which improves that year, which improves your career. Because your career is today plus today plus today. And to help you as a college golf coach to win the fall of 2021, Trake, we've, we've committed to creating a, a group coaching program. Would you talk a little bit about that group coaching, coaching the group coaching program and how I'm all excited, how that might help the coaches that are watching this or the golfers that are watching this to maximize this time in the fall? Yeah, like I said last year, I think it was the biggest thing we did in the fall because 
we, we couldn't really physically do a whole lot, right? And so for me, it's like, okay, what can we do so that the guys feel productive when we're not together a lot, right? And the 10 pillars that you apply to baseball, to UFC fighters, to calf ropers, it applies to golf, right? But it's stuff that you can do. And I think that's been the missing link in a lot of kind of the golf psychology space is you can't talk yourself into right thinking, but you can act yourself into right thinking. And so for us, it's what can we do? What can we take from the clouds, put it in the dirt? You know, whether it's meditating, breathing exercises, journaling, doing our 168, like all these things that we do start to add up and multiply. Um, And so for, for us, it was like taking these 10 pillars, putting them into practice and you don't notice it on day one, right? You know, I, at first it's kind of like, okay, we'll try it. And then a couple guys catch on. But then, you know, three or four months, you start to see it click. And guys are like really owning this stuff. And they're going back to it when, when, when the pressure builds. And so I think being able to take the 10 pillars and put them into a system that golf coaches can use in a timely fashion. We can get through this thing in 10 weeks come spring your guys and girls are going to be, this will be second nature stuff, right? So, you know, I think it's a perfect time of year to start the 10 pillars and go through them once a week. Um, you know, we're going to spend an hour on Zoom with programs, um, golfers and coaches like yourselves, go through one pillar a week, really get through the content, but then really get into discussion on how we put the stuff into practice because that's where you get the results, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. So, and, then, and that starts on, that starts on, on Tuesday, August 3rd. And we'll go for 10 weeks. Now, I know some of the college coaches are going, man, that's, that's, that's not a long time from now. And my kids aren't even on campus until then. They're not coming back to campus, some of the California schools, until the end of September. Good. Here's what we're doing. We're recording each of those sessions so that you can, as a coach, take your team through them whenever is convenient for you. You can join us live. Your team can go through them with you at another time. Or you can have them call in from Europe or from Canada or from the U.S. or wherever the world they are. For these, this 10-week period for one hour a week and coaches don't have to do anything other than show up and, and pay attention and learn. And then what I would suggest you do is you take those 10 weeks and you use those as part of your training every fall as a coach. So it's almost like we're, we're working together to build your mental performance training program for golf. You get to participate in it live for these 10 weeks from I think it's August 3rd until November, uh, October 5th. And then you get to take that program and go back through it with your team. They get to go through it with you and us the first time live. Or if you can't make it live, you just watch the recordings. But all that information is on on a webpage. If you simply just go to briancane.com slash golf-group-coaching. We'll put the link here with this podcast as well. But go there, take a look. Start soon so we don't have a lot of time. And we're capping it. We have a limited space because we want to make sure that we can give a lot of of contact and quality time and value to the people that are willing to join the call with us this first time. So uh, take a look again at the link below, briancane.com slash golf-group-coaching. And thanks for joining us on this podcast. Looking forward to creating more of these video style and uh, continuing to bring you the best in mental performance for golf. And whether we're talking swing management, which we won't do a ton, but we might bring in experts like Milo Lines, other people here that are in the area, uh, to come in and talk about that aspect and because the swing management al- aligns with, with uh, course management, which aligns with self-management, which aligns with program management. So we want to expose you to all of that, but most of the time is going to be with self-management, program management, and course management with Trake. And it will occasionally bring people in for the swing management because 
I'm trying to get better too. I'm only two years into golf. So if I can get somebody who wants to be on the podcast to come up here and work with me on swing management, Milo Nines, I hope you're paying attention. We'll make sure we do that so we can get after it and continue to bring you the best in golf mental performance and help you to have maximum influence and maximum impact in your program to close that gap from where you are to where you want to be. Thanks for checking out the podcast today. Trake, any parting thoughts for our listeners? Dominate the day. Oh, you took it. Dominate the day. See ya.